Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I've Got Questions podcast with myself, William Hurst, a pre-modern podcast full of all the delight and awesomeness you could ever want. Today, we are finally, upon requests that I have gotten, I'm sure my guest has gotten it numerous times, diving into everyone's favorite deck. We are diving into stasis today. I know everybody is so excited, and with me today is somebody I've been looking forward to talk to. I haven't even had a chance to really talk to him before today all that much, Mr. Ron Taylor. Ron, how are you doing today? I am excellent. How are you? I am living the dream. It is a beautiful Saturday here, and we get to talk about stasis. So either people are going to really love it, or they're going to groan, and we'll see how the viewership goes. Um, So before we get started, Ron, can you give anyone who is not familiar with you a brief history uh, for yourself within magic and how you came into pre-modern. Yeah. um, I came upon magic uh, one day in middle school, walking through the lunchroom cafeteria when I saw a group of boys playing some weird card game on the lunchroom tables with, you know, their cards getting all sticky because they didn't have any sleeves or play mats. They weren't really a thing back then. It was, uh, it was during Urza saga. So that's when I started playing. Um, I remember I bought a couple packs of Urza Saga and was captivated by the great whale that I opened, which was absolutely unplayable at the time, but it was just such a cool piece of art. Uh, The art always captured my attention. Um, And so I have always been a lover of like strategy games. I, I played a lot of chess when I was in middle school. So uh, magic was just kind of the perfect fit for all of my interests rolled into one spot. I love it. And while you were playing magic, I did a little diving into um, the TC decks to get a little history as best as I could. Um, We were just talking a little bit before you are previous state champ from when it happened. So you do have a um, competitive um, resume. Were you in your magic career? Were you, usually on the more casual kitchen table side, more competitive, or what was that like for you kind of growing up in that era? Uh, I have always been a competitor, uh, whether it be uh, baseball. I I played a lot of baseball when I was younger, and I was always very serious about competing. Um, So when it came to Magic, I absolutely loved the tournament scene. Um, I played a lot of... uh, Pro Tour qualifiers and Grand Prix and and all that good stuff. I spent a whole lot of hours at the kitchen table with uh, someone that you've talked to recently, Kyle Munson. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and Owen Fletcher uh, back in Boise, hashtag Boise crew. Boise crew, let's go. (laughs) So we... We were always testing for, you know, the next upcoming PTQ or... um, I remember sleeping on the floor of Owen's grandparents' house up in Seattle when we took a trip up there for um, regionals one year. And uh, so, you know, we were always looking to test and and get ready for the next upcoming competitive tournament. And that's kind of what I've always enjoyed is the competition. I... I'm in full on board with you um, and where I'm at. So let's turn our thoughts to pre-modern. Where, where did you come across pre-modern and why did it captivate you? So for a little while, I was um, buying and flipping uh, cards off of eBay. I would buy some cards off of eBay that I found that were underpriced and I would turn them for a profit. And I came across um, a 
collector's edition clipped uh, mock sapphire that I got for way too cheap that I wanted to flip. And so I got in the old school Discord, and way down toward the bottom, I saw this little tab that was 95 to 03, and I said, huh, what, what's that? That's, that's the era that I played. Mm-hmm. So I checked it out, and lo and behold, it was the pre-modern channel, and I just instantly fell in love with it because it was you know, all the cards I grew up playing. I, I never cast a Juzum Jin once in my life, but I can't even tell you how many factor fictions I resolved. Absolutely. And it's, um, were you a fan? I'm assuming you were of kind of the old extended as well when it was around. Yeah. Um, that mm-hmm. was, that was kind of my, um, it, we didn't have as many old extended tournaments as we did, uh, standard, but it was my preferred format over the standard format. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, again, in agreement with you, um, so we found pre-modern, you fell in love with it. These are the cards you know. Let's talk how on God's green earth did we discover stasis and fall in love with stasis? Because it's not a choice many people make. And we are, you know, we're looked, we, we might be the second rung of people people look at. They just roll their eyes at us. So uh, how did you find stasis? So I never really played stasis way back in the day. It was never um, like it was good when uh, Necro Summer was big, when Necro was a big deck and extended. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really playing competitively at that point. Mm-hmm. So I never really played stasis back in the day. But um, I saw a few lists. Um, and I, I've always been like a control player. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of gravitated toward anything that plays counter spells and what's better than counter spells free counter spells. Mm. So I gave it a try and it didn't do well with it. Hated the deck, put it down, didn't pick it up for a long time, then decided to give another, another shot. And once I, uh, kind of adjust, uh, adjusted my strategy when approaching stasis, uh, that's when I fell in love with it and, and actually had some positive results with it. Absolutely. So going back through some history, um, the first um, mention of yourself with Stasis I found was an eighth placed in the August monthly of 2019. Um, so we're going back some years, and this is the list you played. There's one Ensnare, two Boomerang, two Foil, four Arcane Denial, four Chain of Vapor, four Gush, four Impulse, four Thwart, four Stasis, two Howling Mine, two Powder Keg, three Black Vice, Three Forsaken City, 21 Islands, with a sideboard of two Cursed Totem, one Misdirection, three Chill, a Feldens Cane, uh, a blast from the past that you were playing that is getting more light now is Arcane Laboratory as a singleton, Hydroblast, Nullrod, Tormont's Crypt, Stifle. This list is so different from the things we see today. What was, because I was not there at that point, what was Stasis like when the the pre-modern online monthlies were just starting when this format was still this sort of this niche, small little thing. So I've actually been playing pre-modern since the very first online tournament. I actually hosted the second online tournament. And uh, after that tournament is when Andrew took over and started the monthlies, which we all know and love now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've, I've been playing like every metagame of pre-modern that we've seen. Um, so listening to you read that list, uh, it what sticks out to me immediately is 
three Forsaken Cities, which is wrong, mm-hmm. and two Howling Mines, which Howling Mine has just proven to be awful in the deck. So um, those are the first changes to go. The meta back then was a whole lot of burn, uh, a good amount of goblins. Um, elves wasn't really a thing yet. Uh, a few people were playing elves, but it didn't have um, survival at that point. That mm-hmm. wasn't really a an advent until maybe I want to say January of 2021 is when Frank Roloff's really debuted uh, survival elves. Cause I, I lost to him in the top eight of the monthly then. <laughs> um, so it was uh it was a much more straightforward meta. There was a lot less, a lot less combo, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of one thing that uh, I enjoy playing against with stasis. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of more your uh, straightforward lists of burn goblins, the rock, mm-hmm. uh, blue white standstill. Um. So yeah, that's it was a a pretty predictable meta. So once you learned what the matchups were and how to play each matchup, you could pretty well navigate the whole monthly. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And as you said, as time has progressed, we've seen different combo decks come in, parfaits, dreadnoughts getting refined. So metas have changed. Um, as we dive in further to this, let's talk for those who are not as familiar of, you know, properly playing stasis, right? So stasis, for those who are not aware, two mana enchantment where um, you skip your untap step, beginning of your upkeep, you got to pay a blue keep it around or it sacrifices itself so no there is no untap step no one is untapping how you take advantage of that is you have things that can bounce your stasis um like chain of vapor uh boomerang forsaken city which allows you to stack it in such a way where you can exile a card to untap it and then pay for stasis to keep that engine going one thing that i've noticed and i'm not sure because this has always been around is I got reminded of this uh, yesterday. We had a gentleman in from Costa Rica, an awesome guy's name is Sebastian, who was inspired to play Stasis and a newer player. And one thing I've noticed is people jam Stasis's onto the board way too quickly in the beginning. Like, turn three, Forsaken City, three land Stasis, go. Like, Do you see that often with new Stasis players? Like, they're just too quick to try and get that on the board? So there are only a few times when that's the correct play. Um, and one is when you're facing something really aggressive, like goblins has already hit you once with a lap lackey, then you mm-hmm. want to, then you want to jam stasis early. But yeah, I, I see a lot of players, uh, making mistakes with stasis simply because they don't understand how to attack each matchup. Mm-hmm. And stasis is a deck that relies very heavily on knowing each matchup individually because you have to play each one very differently Mm -hmm. um so like there is absolutely no replacement uh for experience with this deck Mm -hmm. i i would agree with that so can you give me kind of your top three off the top of your head like rookie mistakes things people are not understanding when they first pick up the deck why don't we start there what are kind of those top three-ish things that are happening number one without a doubt far and away is countering the wrong spell countering spells that just don't matter and 
so the what I see most is um you know someone will play like a a turn three uh goblin pile driver and someone will counter it uh when they've got a stasis in hand and so what people don't realize is that goblin pile driver attacks exactly once. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to counter it. As long as you have the life total buffer that you can absorb a hit from it and then resolve a stasis afterward, it only attacks once. And that's the same with a lot of the other threats that uh, creatures, re- unless they have vigilance like a chroma, really aren't that big of a deal against stasis as long as you are uh, watching your life total and making sure you don't get down to a lethal range. Um, so countering, countering cards that don't matter and leaving yourself resource light when you really do need to counter something is easily the biggest mistake that I see uh, inexperienced stasis players make. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that one. Um, and along those same lines, uh, just reiterating what you said is, you know, with this deck, your life total is a resource. You hear that a lot, but with this deck, it is especially true. Unless an attack is truly going to kill you or put you in a position of a huge threat, don't worry about it at all. Um, stasis is a hell of a drug once ever they attack and tap and do everything, and then what do they do? So I agree with that 100%. What's kind of another thing that you notice that people are just don't quite understand when playing the deck? Um, the next one would be um, figuring out how to play around wastelands. and um, Because people will say, oh, I've got a Forsaken City, I can play my Stasis, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they'll, um, they'll tap out all their islands and just get blown out by a wasteland. Mm-hmm. And so um, being able to uh have islands up after you have a stasis in play have an island or two up once you have a stasis in play is very valuable uh also managing how many uh, tapped islands you have mm-hmm. um if you're going to play a thwart you want to make sure that you have three tapped islands because it's it's very painful to return untapped islands to a thwart once you've already got a stasis in play yeah. so making sure that you prioritize getting those islands tapped while trying to keep one or two up uh, to play around a wasteland is pretty important. So it's kind of a a little bit of a balancing act there that you got to, um, you want to get them tapped so that you can bounce them later, Mm -hmm. but you also want to leave a buffer of one or two up so that you can play around the wasteland if you need to. And I think that's uh, correct, especially with, um, with, uh land tax based decks going away um basic counts are probably going to go down people are going to be more aggressive with their mana bases so i i do think we are going to see a rise in wastelands here as things go forward um and there are times with forsaken city like a lot of times when you're under stasis something like um an impulse doesn't matter that much anymore chuck go ahead and chuck it to a forsaken city the things that don't matter to let those one or two islands be up yeah once i get my stasis down impulse is almost uncastable unless you have to dig for uh, i i have to go find a thwart right now or i have to go find a foil right now something something along those lines Mm -hmm. uh so once stasis is down 
anything that causes me to tap mana that isn't making me win the game is is usually a bad play. Mm-hmm. I I would agree with that. Um, so kind of moving on from that, let's start kind of talking some choices because this has refined and cards have come and gone. You mentioned a uh, howling mind being absolute trash in um, stasis, and there are stasis decks of the past that used howling mind. Uh, there's a couple people who play like a turbo stasis on like four howling mind, four vice, and really just trying to get there. Why, in your opinion, is a card like howling mind? not beneficial anymore so historically stasis was really good against the necro decks and necropotence has the the text on it that says skip your draw step and so that's when howling mine was good when you could capitalize on drawing an extra card during your draw step but your opponent could not Mm -hmm. and they had to skip that extra draw during their draw step we don't have necro in uh, pre-modern, thank goodness. I hate that card. <laughs> so there's really no way to capitalize on Howling Mine in a way that doesn't benefit your opponent even more. Because on turn two, let's just say you're casting it on turn two because there's not a whole lot of other plays other than holding up a counter spell. If you're playing it on turn two, your opponent gets the free card while you have tapped out. So you are giving your opponent more resources sooner uh, then you get the benefit, and you have tapped your mana to do so. So either you hold it to play later at a so you don't go shields down, or um, you're and if you do that, you're really not going to benefit a whole lot on it uh, because you want it in play more turns. Um, it, I I think it's just not a good way to tap your mana. Mm -hmm. Uh, by giving your opponent extra resources early. And now some people will point to the fact that I'm a lover of um, Arcane Denial and make the same argument there. Uh, Yeah, that's that's an argument against Arcane Denial. Um, But I think Howling Mine is worse because it doesn't contain the text counter-target spell. Mm -hmm. I think that is a fair argument to make. Um. I think there are situations in which, or maybe even metas that might develop in which a Howling Mine, as a one or two of, could be something. I, I've tried it a little bit. I'm not in love with it, but I've certainly seen it win games. But I'm more on par with you as a lot of the times, especially against... I think Howling Mine is a card that gets a lot of points when you're playing as a person who is inexperienced against Stasis, but then loses you a lot of points against a person who is knowledgeable about Stasis. And I find... That argument a lot when I talk about stasis is, and this is a good pivot point, is one of the reasons stasis, I think, gets a lot of dislike is people just don't test against it. And they lose against it because they don't test against it. I've been on record saying, like, I see people concede too quickly to stasis. Like, they see a stasis and they go two turns and they're like, well, I'm done. There's no black vice on the table. There's nothing. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do people just not... Of course, we want to win with Stasis, but like, do you see people just give up too easily playing against Stasis? Yes, and, and part of that is exactly what you touched on. They don't uh, test against it enough, so they don't know how to play the matchup. Um, there are plenty of ways to work around the Stasis lock, as long as you're not under pressure from one or two Black Vices. Um, obviously, it depends on what you're playing, but uh, they... A lot of people find the stasis matchup boring. 
so they don't play against it so they don't have any idea how to they they don't know how to play against it and i mean that works in our favor yours yours in my favor mm-hmm. but uh yeah i totally agree that um people don't attack it from the right angle and don't understand how uh to force the stasis player into a bad situation which you can easily do yeah definitely it's definitely misunderstood and the fact that i had a train of thought here i thought okay it went away we're gonna move on it'll come back later (laughs) sorry um yeah, so as we're with stasis, the car choices have mattered and they've changed. So let's talk arcane denial. Now, initially I was on arcane denial as well, but I have I have fallen off of it. Um there there is something to a card that straight up says counter the spell for blue and a colorless, right? There certainly is. Uh but there is the drawback of an opponent being able to draw up to two cards. Are you currently where we are right now, still an arcane denial guy, or where are you at with that card? So I will say that I play it out of personal taste. Um, If we're looking at purely what is the correct card choice, the correct card choice is probably counterspell. Uh, The benefit of arcane denial being one and a blue instead of blue blue is pretty negligible in this deck since we play, you know, almost all islands and and uh, for second cities, mm-hmm. you, you're not hurting for the second blue mana. So that difference is negligible. What I like about arcane denial is I um, I typically try not to cast them early game unless I have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will typically try to save them for late game, and oftentimes I get, uh, you know, a cantrip counterspell for two mana, and then my opponent chooses not to draw any cards because they're under pressure from Black Vice. Mm -hmm. I can't even count the number of times that I've made that play and uh, either A, force my opponent to take extra damage faster Mm -hmm. from a Black Vice, or they just skip the draw entirely. So that's that's why I like it. But again, that's a personal taste uh, thing. It's It's kind of a high risk, high reward kind of card in this deck but um yeah if you're strictly speaking what is the correct card choice to play it's probably counterspell gotcha and then so as we talk about this we're gonna go ahead and jump a little time skip over here the spring fling of 2021 uh in which you top aided uh and kind of look at your list here where we've seen some changes the biggest thing we see here is just what we're talking about you're on four arcane denial versus four counterspell um, and that's, as you said, a taste issue. But you have transitioned into uh, getting some dazes into the deck. What was the thought on that? Because initial lists that I see weren't running days a lot. And you would think it was a a natural fit in a deck like this. What, how did that transition happen? Um, I, I don't really have a good answer as to why I wasn't playing days to begin with, honestly. <laughs> I mean, that's I, fair. It should have been in the deck from the start. Um, mm-hmm. Days, um, I, I, I can't even count the number of times that I've cast a days just to return an island to my hand and tap one extra mana for my opponent. Yep. It's just such a flexible card in this deck particularly because it's not dead late game. When you've got a stasis down, you want to bounce that island, you want to tap their extra mana. Uh, it has more utility here than it does in uh, a, like a tempo deck that is looking to, you know, 
play a two drop and ride that two drop to victory because mm-hmm. it ends up it ends up being dead in in those decks in the late games um so um i i can't say enough good things about how great days has been in this deck absolutely and one thing we can also talk about is um the number of days in a deck right so the first days is always how to say this is like the most impactful days, right? The first time they see days, then they are scared of days the entire match. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, of a philosophy sometimes because I think I like days to return an island. I like days early, but there are times when days is just kind of this, it's forsaken city food, which is fine. Um, I don't know if I'm ever on four days. I think three is the max I go. And I've gone down to as little as honestly just one. Um, just to like keep them honest per se. Mm-hmm. W- where do you think that number of days is, and what do you think of the the days factor in a deck like this? Like they have to they have to respect it, right? There's no way they can't. They can't just run it into things, right? So at this point, um, like the it's well a well enough known quantity that people are going to be playing days in stasis. You could honestly go down to zero at this point, and people will still be playing around it. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're right. But uh, what we've already established is it's flexible enough and has enough utility uh, early and late in this game or in this deck that I I like between two and three. I think two to three is the right number mm-hmm. here. Um, I don't like playing four. It's just uh, it's just too much to since it's not a hard counter. But uh, yeah, two, I like two to three, um, and yeah, put the fear in them that they <laughs> they that they got to they have to like you said they have to respect it. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Otherwise, it's just an absolute blowout. Yeah, and I feel the same way uh, honestly about thwart. Like, I don't know if I. I've, I've never liked thwart as a four of because there are times where it's four of and you draw too many of them early and it's just like, ugh, I, do I really need this right now? So I think three is the right number. Um, but that's that's the cool thing about this sort of deck and free spells. We've mentioned it before and just right now is once they know it's there or they expect it's there, like they have to play thinking it so you automatically gain an edge. Um, thinking that it's in there. And that's one of my arguments when I've talked about red and ball lightning is like, I play zero ball lightnings a lot of time, but people have to expect me to play ball lightning. Like they have to think, and I think that gives me an edge, which is really cool to see. Absolutely. Um, I, I enjoy uh, a high number of thwart. Uh, I think I've been on four pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. Once stasis is down, if you, re- if you cast thwart and return three islands to your hand it is just a kick in the gut yeah it's it's a guaranteed three extra turns that stasis is going to be there which it's actually more than that because of forsaken city but Mm -hmm. um it it feeds foil so it's just it it's such a back-breaking play uh once stasis is in play but yeah you do make a good point that pre-stasis it's pretty much lower value yeah and that and that's also ties into my thing is like i'm not the hugest fan of more than one foil in this deck i understand a hundred percent why it's good it's a free counter you can toss things you usually have an extra island or two 
But again, it's just one of those cards where I just want to find one to seal up the game late. I never, ever want to see more than one, at least in my experience. So that's in my list. Currently, I'm on one foil three thwart is where I'm at. And I found that for my taste to be a good number. What is your opinion on a card like foil in this deck? Um, I think with all of the island bounce spells between uh, just looking at my spring fling list that you were talking about a minute ago, uh, three days, four gush, four thwart. That's a whole lot of islands coming back to hand. So I don't mind having a second one. I like playing two Mm -hmm. because I really don't find that having a second one is that bad. Um, Sure with how many islands I'm looking to bounce. I think, I think that's a valid argument. And, and a lot of this deck, just like many decks, I think comes down to a taste and comfortability, being comfortable with what you're doing, just like any magic deck. So um, I think there's no debate that some amount of foil is correct in the deck. Some amount of thwart, obviously, is correct in the deck. Where you land, that's probably personal taste and testing. So we've talked a lot about Forsaken City. Uh, I have Whiff Waffle between three and four. You initially were on three. This list has four. Uh, we were talking before, and you said four. Three is absolutely not the correct number. Is four the correct number? Uh, yeah, I, I strongly feel that four is the correct number. I can't count the number of times that I've just been saying to myself, I just need a Forsaken City right now. I just need a Forsaken City right now. And it, it's, it really just seals up the game. One, uh, against most match any non wasteland deck it pretty much seals up the game which we've seen a lot fewer wasteland decks recently but i i think that we are going to see an uptick now that uh oath or excuse me that uh land tax is no longer in the picture i, I agree with that um so what would you say and i actually just experienced this the other day or yesterday when i was playing was um when you're on four forsaken cities the uh Draw the seven, two lands are two Forsaken City opening hands. Is the argument against, well, I just want to see one, so isn't three the correct thing for one to nullify the, the feels bad of drawing two Forsaken Cities within like the first turn two of a game and no other islands? What, do you, what would you be your response to that criticism or that possibility of running four? The, having two of them late game is not a bad thing at all. Um, so the amount of times that you're going to have two early game, but you're hurting on islands compared to the number of times that you're not going to have one soon enough. Uh, I, I want that fourth one in there. Okay. That's valid. All right. So let's turn our attention to powder keg. This is a card that at least I am not the hugest fan of has fallen out of favor. wasn't amazing against, uh, you know, some of the meta and it can be slow. I, I gather though, you're still, a, I think when we were talking initially about doing this podcast, are you still a fan of powder keg, especially where we are right now with maybe the rise of dreadnought? So powder keg is a card that has the, the value of has definitely fluctuated a lot mm-hmm. as the meta game has shifted. Um, and it, it was great early, uh, early in the meta game. It, it was not as great, uh, in the middle and now has gotten a lot more value um, because of, I think specifically two cards and one of them being dreadnought, the other one being meddling mage. Mm-hmm. 
being able to have a, you know, a catch-all answer. Uh, and that's why I had it in the list to begin with, just being a catch-all to whatever else slipped in underneath my counter spells. Um, like I'm, I'm not looking to tip powder keg up to four and blow something up. I'm looking to hit a one or a two drop uh, mm-hmm. with my powder keg that slipped in under. You know, they were on the play and got their two drop in, their meddling mage in underneath my arcane denial. Mm-hmm. Um. Because typically the first meddling mage names Chain of Vapor, yeah. and that's essentially like I play one boomerang. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if if you're not drawing that boomerang, you really don't have any other way to take meddling mage off the table. So uh, I think meddling mage has been extremely popular lately, mm-hmm. and powder keg is probably the best best answer there. And the fact that it also hits it is also a really good answer to dreadnought in that same deck. Uh, I think adds a whole lot of value. Sure. And the the fact that it's almost never a bad card, almost never a dead card, is a big plus in my eyes. Gotcha. Do you think it is... I have different thoughts, which we'll get to in a second, but as far as this, do you think it's main deck worthy? Because in this list you're at two of. This was in 2021. Obviously things have changed. Or do you think this is more a sideboard card if you play it? Um, I think that you can make an argument for either way. Um, it, it really depends on how many other things you're trying to squeeze in. That's probably, uh, one of the flex slot cards that Mm -hmm. if you're going to cut something, that's one of the ones that you're going to look at. Mm -hmm. I agree. But the other great thing about this deck is, um, uh, impulse and gushes. You're playing four of each. Each of those cards makes your one ofs better. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to play it as a one of in the main deck, it's a pretty high impact card that uh, that powder keg is one of those cards that you probably don't want to see two of. So if you want to drop down to play in one of them and just impulse and gush for it, that's a perfectly reasonable strategy. Mm-hmm. I, I love the thought. So my I will agree with many things you say. It answers a lot of things. My experience with powder keg versus the scenario I'm going to put out there. Um, is a little different. I have found with Powder Keg versus specifically Dreadnought, right? They're so redundant in the way they have things. Like so many times I've been at Powder Keg and it's like they have the ability to stifle, they have the ability to uh, vision charm effectively and play, you know, protect the queen against the Powder Keg, which is why I kind of got turned off from it. And where I'm at is I'm a, a, a bit more aggressive. Uh, one of our. Uh, players here in Madison is a name some people may know. A lot of people probably know is uh, Adrian Sullivan, who plays, who has played a lot of stasis, and he has a very different approach than me or you have. I'm talking like almost no black vices, but we can get to that as we talk about different versions. Uh, but one of his sideboard cards is Temporal Adept, and I have found that to be a really great path. Um, right now, my current list is one Temporal Adept and one Sea Singer. Um, that I bring in in the matchup. Um, and I have found those to be a little bit better in my taste um, than the powder keg because they're reusable. The, the ways in which they interact with that are more taken out. Uh, what are your thoughts on cards like Temporal Adept and Sea Singer? Or things like so, that? What I... My my feeling on those is when I lose to Dreadnought, it's because they're um they they get a quick one down. 
Uh, mm-hmm. If we're playing a long game, I'm feeling pretty comfortable because I've got, yeah, they've got counter magic. I've got more. Um, right, right. And also, like, a, my counter, almost uh, most of my counter magic's free, so is theirs, but they mm-hmm. play foil. I play foil and thwart. Um, right. So, three, dro- a three drop that has to wait a turn to activate. Yes, Powder Keg has to wait a turn to get a counter on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, th- a three drop that has to wait a turn to activate uh, and can still be stifled or vision charm to mm-hmm. play around uh, doesn't really answer those those um, uh, those problems that you uh, described with powder keg, and mm-hmm. it is unfortunate that like they're they're naturally playing four stifle and four vision charm because mm-hmm. that's how the deck works, right? So. Um, what I found to be the best way is if I got a powder keg down, then I'm going to look to uh, fight over the activation. They can stifle, they can vision charm, whatever. I can play some counters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to do this in the middle of their um, combat step. Mm-hmm. If they win that fight, then I'm just going to untap and play a stasis. And then it's okay to take a hit for 12 yes. and go down to 8 if that dreadnought never attacks again. Exactly. Um, and I think you're correct. I think, again, it's a different philosophy. I like the fact that when I play those two cards that I do, it's like if they stifle it, and this is assuming I'm at 20 life, right? If they stifle it like on an activation or something like that, then I at least get to reuse it again. Whereas with the powder keg, um, if they stifle it and win that fight, the powder keg goes away. But again, it's just a personal taste thing. Um, but one thing this brings to mind that I didn't notice here that has to be up there now is none of your lists have uh, carried the card Annul in the sideboard. So I have recently switched. Um, if you look at my uh, previous lists that had, um, what is it? Null Rod's in the sideboard. I think that Null Rod uh, is not nearly as good as what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, there's still plenty of mox diamonds that need shut down, but there are a lot fewer scroll racks. Uh, and actually, if you watch, um, it it was recorded. I think it was on the Cloud Goat Ranger channel. My top eight match against uh, John Gradzina of the 2021 Spring Fling. Um, I landed no rod against Mud and mm-hmm. lost. So, yeah. like, it's not. It, it's it's a great card. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like the unbeatable answer that you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So I've actually switched off of two null rods and either put in two or three nulls in the sideboard. I can't remember which. Yeah, I think four is definitely too many. I think th- I think three is the right number. And I've been known to play in a null main deck in certain times because I think. Honestly, that card is just insane. And anything almost outside of the Goblin matchup, there's targets almost every time. Anul um, is absolutely main deckable. I I made the argument very early on that Disenchant is a, a main deck necessity. Uh, mm-hmm. And if Disenchant's a main deck necessity, then why not Anul? I th- I'm, I'm in lockstep with you on that one. So as we turn to kind of the last main deck question uh let's talk numbers of black vice so i personally am a fan of a four of of black vice i have gone down to three 
I think in my spring fling, I went down to one or two on an experiment that I just absolutely hated. What do you think? Because there's two arguments. Is like one is like you only need one black vice to win, and you just protect that. You drop it late, whatever. It doesn't matter. Versus the argument of I want to play four because one, it could get destroyed, and I have no way to get it back. Two. It's an easy button in so many matchups. Like if you just resolve that turn one against most control, even mid-rangey decks, it's just kind of like now they can't they can't play around the tapping out for stasis. They have to be active, and that plays into your stasis. What are your thoughts on numbers of Black Vice? Um, Black Vice is a card that in most matchups, I would say I don't really want it early. There are some matchups where playing a Black Vice on turn one is just unbeatable, uh, like a Landstill matchup or uh, even The Rock. The Rock has a really hard time with a turn one Black Vice. Mm-hmm. So Black Vice ha- does have... Um, it. It's really hard to evaluate because it, mm-hmm. it's just so matchup dependent. Um, like... If I have two black vices in my opening hand against burn, I lose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but it's also a card that, uh, like, I don't really need it early. If I can just stay alive, then later on in the game, put a stasis down, I can wait 10 turns to find a black vice. I don't need to play mm-hmm. it right now. So, I, I don't like playing the full four. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a card that I like to find off of an impulse, which mm-hmm. can be done later in the game. So, um, I, I typically run three. Um, one thing that I might try is maybe playing two main and two side or three main and one side, uh, because there are plenty of matchups where a turn one black vice is just such a problem for them. So Mm -hmm. like you described, it forces them to tap out and play into your, your stasis lock. Um, So there there's, it's a card that, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this personal taste. It's something that each person is going to need to test and figure out where they want to be. Exactly. Um, and then kind of before we move into sideboards, and this is, this has been an awesome conversation so far. So I hope the people that are listening, like seriously, think about the things that are being talked about, test this matchup, like, and and you'll just see these things you haven't even considered just blossom before your eyes. That's all I can say about it. But, um, looking at main decks as well, we'll talk about a couple individual cards. Like you have ensnare in a lot of your nest lists. I like that card. I think it's underrated as a one of um cards I've also enjoyed is uh Claws of Gix. Um has been amazing for me. It lets me be you know more proactive with a chain of vapor if I need to be. Um you know, we've talked about maybe a main deck a null. We've talked about um other things like that. What are some spicy one ofs that you've considered that you've enjoyed that people can kind of keep in mind for the main deck. So the one of ensnare has been really good and not just because it taps down guys. Like I can't even tell you how many times I've cast the one of ensnare just to return two islands to yep. my hand. And it's, it's you so don't have, great. Yep. Because you don't actually have to target something that it doesn't fizzle without a target. It's just tapped all creatures. Yep. There doesn't have to be a creature on the board. Yep, and I'm not playing any, so it doesn't. It's just completely one-sided, and uh, I I actually had a match in um, 
PSS season one against Jared. He was playing Esper Stifleknot. And um uh it the the one of ensnare just won game three by itself. Cause he got a he got a dreadnought down. He had a couple other creatures in play. Um he had made me discard everything other than ensnare, so I cast the one ensnare and won. Mm-hmm. Uh it's it's when it's good, it's insanely good. When it's bad, it's still pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Um, and this is a deck, as you mentioned before, with impulse, with gush, that the one of isn't that hard to find, right? Yeah, it, these the impulses, the gushes, they make the high impact one of cards just so much, so much better. Like we see uh, the blue white standstill lists with one of humility. You don't want to draw two of them, but it's such a high impact card in so many mm-hmm. matchups that being able to impulse for it and hit it makes it that much more valuable. So I like one of high impact cards. The other one you mentioned was Claws of Gix. I haven't personally played it. Um, it's one, it's, it can definitely be a very swingy card. If you play your Claws of Gix and then on the end of your opponent's turn, you sacrifice your stasis and get an untap. Um, I would have to adjust my, the way that I play stasis but I could see it being very impactful. Usually when I've got, when I draw multiple copies of stasis, I very quickly pitch them to Forsaken City. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm playing Claws of Gix, having a backup stasis, uh, I, I would need to adjust how I play to mm-hmm. value having that backup stasis more. Yeah. And it's, so we're going to talk a second here on zero casting cost things, not necessarily free spells, but things that actually legitimately say zero. Cause it's a space that I've been in. And uh, as I said, working with Adrian, he's in is, and also uh, rich as we've talked about it. Um, I had success and rich had success um, with a uh, bobble stasis. Yeah. Rich and I had that conversation uh, several months ago that uh, putting bobbles in stasis, there's a few things that bobbles do, do that, um, like they don't. It doesn't necessarily, uh, like it's not the same as how bobble is played in burn. Like Aaron mm-hmm. Hicks plays it. Um, being able to see one card in your opponent's hand, number one, uh, it, on turn one, it it'll tell you what they're playing, so it'll tell you how you need to sequence your plays and what you need to save your counter spells for. Mm-hmm. It, if I see that my opponent has, uh, I don't know, a disenchant in hand, that is going to be a huge impact on how I'm going to play out my turns. Mm-hmm. So being able to see, uh, be, being able to plan ahead for how I'm going to play is, is massive in stasis because Mm -hmm. we've talked about, you know, losing the game because you counter the wrong spell. Uh, so if I know what to save my counters for, that's a huge advantage uh, on my side. Another great thing that Bobble does is you can just put it on the board and just let it sit there. And later on, uh, it, it, early on, it gets a card out of your hand so that if you're not hitting all of your land drops, you don't have to discard the hand size. And it can hold on to that card draw for later on in the game. Um, because a lot of matchups uh, come down to one big turn and you need all the resources you can to fight over one big key spell. 
so having that extra having eight cards in hand or nine cards in hand after your draw step is a huge a huge benefit a huge um advantage so it, some of the things that it does in this deck in particular aren't apparent right away until you've tried it uh but i i really like bobble too it's just a matter of finding what to cut for it right and i also think it's about maybe the number you run i like it um i don't know what the right number is um it does some cool things additionally especially in your build it has some additional things right very niche things like number one it costs zero and in a pinch you can thwart it you can daze it to get islands back to hand. It's a zero costing spell you can do that with in a very small cases additionally within your build with arcane denial you can arcane denial it and just draw three yeah, if you're in a matchup where you're not under pressure and you don't need to save um, your your counters, or if you don't need to use your counters early game on your opponent's spells, just a two mana, three for two, draw three, spend spend two cards, draw three, is uh, that's great against mm -hmm. you know land still. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll make that play. Yep, absolutely. So it's definitely a card. And there is some aspect of, does this card make you a 56-card deck, and can you lower your land count because of it, right? I've never been great on that math or a huge believer in those sort of arguments. Maybe I'm just wrong, but there's arguments to be made there as well. Another one of that I've tried um, that has been... I hate to say it, but it's been good, because I've fought against it so much, is a one-of spellbook. It so spellbook is simply a zero mana casting cost card that says you have no maximum hand size. And what it does is if you find it, it just lets you gush more freely, do things more freely. Because one of the big things with stasis is, as you mentioned, with Mox Diamond or not Mox Diamond, sorry, uh, Bobble is like putting in there so you're not discarding end of turn. That alleviates that. And I have found that in a lot of matches to be helpful because now I'm just sitting on in a control matchup or a mid-range matchup where I know they're just building up for one turn of just sitting there like, okay, I now have 12 to 13 cards in my hand. I've been stocking up. I don't have to worry. Sure, are there blowouts if they blow it up and then you have to discard? Absolutely. You can mitigate that by just playing well. What are your thoughts on a card like Spellbook? Uh, I like it a lot better in the sideboard, um, although playing it as a one of when you we talked about the value of impulse, you see it on an impulse and it's not good in that matchup. You just pass it up and send it to the bottom. Mm -hmm. So it's not um, I, I just don't like cards that just do absolutely nothing in yep. quite a few matchups. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that I enjoy having main deck, but mm -hmm. it's perfectly reasonable to play one on the sideboard. Gotcha. And see, and I can agree with that as well. So let us talk sideboard for a second. Um, one of the first things we talk about is there's a big, do you or do you not play chill, Right. I personally, having played both the stasis side and a goblin slash red side, I'm just, I'm just not a huge chill guy. I, not. 
but you seem to be on at least three chill in most lists, if not more. Can you give me your arguments for why chill is the more correct way to play this? Because you can play without them and be okay or do the things differently. Why do you think it is more correct than not to play chill? So chill has more value in stasis than it does in any other blue control deck uh, because of how much more impactful it is to get them to tap extra mana in stasis than it is in, say, blue-white land still. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're tapping three lands for their uh, pyroblast to try to destroy your stasis and you daze it, those three lands don't untap. Mm -hmm. So what I have found is uh, I have played a whole lot of matchups of stasis against burn. And um, I find that game one is almost unwinnable uh, against burn, mm-hmm. but with, uh, with the sideboard that I've been playing three chills and two hydroblasts or blue elemental blasts, take your pick. Um, I'm game one is almost unwinnable and games two and three I'm favored, not by a lot, but, probably like 60 40 mm-hmm. and so in the the spring fling 2021 in specific uh i won two burn matchups to one exactly the way i just described uh, i lost game one and then i game one games two and three uh on the back of chill uh just because of how impactful it is to make them tap three mana for a one mana spell mm-hmm. i i think I can definitely see the argument for it. Maybe my perspective is as a burn player, I have a lot of, I've, I, I play two contrasting decks, this and then burn, uh, but I've played the matchup as well. It's like chill doesn't bother me. Cause at that point, um, I know going into that matchup, like I need a one drop. I need a jackal pup. I need something on the board. Turn one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm doing that and then they ever chill me, like, a blast sucks, sure, but I can't have my own blast. Like I feel fine, even if I pay three for a lightning bolt. That's three, and I'm never tapping out on my turn after turn one or two. Um, and I've just beaten a lot of chills, so I guess maybe I've either been lucky or I don't value it enough. Uh, it's just I, I almost feel like I want more blasts instead, like to counter the things that I care about. Um. Do you think you would ever run this with just more blasts or people have tried like I've tried like a one of ivory tower, one of two of different things like that. I've tried uh, Zurin orbs, which have been effective when I'm playing without chill. Do you think you could ever see yourself running without chill? Well, chill is uh, it's one of the cards that's more meta dependent. So sure. chill is much, much better against burn than it is against goblins, whereas the blasts are much, much better against goblins than they are against burn. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of um, it's kind of a meta call on what you expect to see more of. If you don't mm-hmm. expect to see a whole lot of burn matchups, go ahead and cut down on chills. Um, Got you. So it, it, I yeah, I I could see a world in which uh, cutting down on chills would be the correct way to go on the sideboard. Um, it, it's really just a meta call. Gotcha. Um, another thing, another, so that's probably big argument. Number one for sideboards in stasis. Can you guess what sideboard strategy? Number two, the biggest argument is just take a guess. Mm, I'm going to say curse totem. Yes. And more largely, do you care about the elf matchup 
Or do you just say, screw this matchup. If I face it, it sucks. Yeah. Um, where I, are you at? <laughs> I've essentially written off elves as unwinnable yep. for stasis. There it is. So <laughs> I, I don't even consider playing cursed. Cursed totem isn't there for elves. It's there for um, uh, hermit druid. It's yep. there for uh, Phyrexian devourer. Uh, it's there for... Uh, c- creature combo matchups like i elves is just so bad that you just a hope to avoid it and b uh sometimes you just get your bad matchup so yeah. sorry sorry charlie yeah it, it certainly feels i'm on the same boat the the thing i have found and you'll probably agree is the amount of things you have to dedicate to even be close to like 60 40 even with them being advantages like multiple curse totems um you need to have hibernation like, hibernation and all of this and it's just like and they still beat you <laughs> right it, it to make it even a, a chance to have a chance to win the matchup i i have maybe beaten elves once and mm-hmm. it's it, i'm sure that they you know mulligan to four and couldn't hit their second land or something but right like <laughs> In order to make it even competitive, that matchup, you just have to give up so many other percentage points in other matchups that it's not mm-hmm. worth it. So, I mean, the, the cursed totems are there for other matchups, but they're they're great against elves, obviously. But you're probably still going to lose. Yeah. Uh, one of the bigger cards, uh, and I know we've both talked to Rich. Rich is a shout out to Rich Shea, another lover of Stasis, even. We'll, we'll get him back on the train now that Parfait may be gone. Maybe we'll just convince him to play this. Um, of uh, Propaganda and Pendril Mists. Now, I've played both those cards. They're both powerful cards. I just... And I, if I wanted to beat Elves, I'd play them. But other than that, I'm just like, I, do, I don't feel them. I'm not loving them. What are your thoughts on kind of those prisony pay more mana to attack me cards? So, I'm... I'm fine with them attacking me. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't mind if they tap their creature to attack me because I just play a stasis and they don't untap right. and they don't attack me again outside of the elves matchup, obviously, because they have, uh, you know, the wirewood symbiote and the, uh, the ranger Quirin. Yep. Quirin ranger. Yeah. So like, again, we're talking non elves matchups because that's essentially mm-hmm. unwinnable. I don't care if you attack me once or twice. Go ahead and mm-hmm. take me down to six. I don't care. You're not. You're not going to do anything for the rest of the game afterward. So I mm-hmm. don't need propaganda or pendulum mists. Yep. I I think I'm in that boat with you. I can see them in certain places. I am not high on them. Um, I'm currently not on them. So another big sideboard card that I am in love with that also could be a one of main deck that I've done is mana short. Now the reason I think this has become pretty good is a lot of people at least in monthlies uh places i've played maybe because you know i and others have had good success with stace in recent memory so people have it on their minds have learned that going back to a very earlier conversation is if you're not under pressure just make your land drops find your answers and you can overwhelm a stasis if need be mana short in that case, makes them have to react more quickly. If I if I know what that's what they're doing and I mana short them, they either have to try and fight then, which 
I either counter and they're tapped out still, or they have to do it on their turn. And I usually have a backup stasis to drop the next turn anyway. I, I have fallen in love with Mana Short so much. Also, for those matchups, like we know that Standstill is a good matchup, but there are times when it's going long and they're able to like decree for a bunch and it can suck. Being able to have a Mana Short into a Decree of Justice is also really awesome. What are your what are your thoughts on mana short right now? So I think that mana short has gotten a lot better in <laughs> the metagame uh, within the last year or so. Uh, I'm pretty high on mana short right now. Um, so in stasis, mana short ends up becoming uh, you know a tied seal combo all in one card for three mana at instant speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one thing that you can do is if they do want to cycle a big decree in response to your mana short is you untap, you play your stasis and then you play your one of ensnare. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it gets even better in combination with our impactful one ofs. So uh, looking at like my sideboard from the spring fling of 21, it's super outdated mm-hmm. and it needs a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of updating. Uh, Mana Short is a card that I would probably be playing. Uh, and then I'm sure the next card you're about to mention would be Brain Freeze is mm-hmm. something that uh, that I would want to be playing because as you spoke about, we get those turns where they save up a whole bunch of resources to overwhelm the Stasis player in one turn where they, you know, they cast a Dreadnought into uh, a Stifle, into a Gush, into a Foil. So those big turns where they can play a whole bunch of cards, you just end step single brain freeze, untap, play a stasis, that game's over. You're you're done. Pack it up. Mm-hmm. Um so those are those are two cards that I think have a lot more value recently, just because of how the metagame is playing out. Um mm-hmm. I think that we're going to see fewer Gaia's Blessings, so Brain Freeze looks better. I think that we're seeing a lot more decks that want to play several cards in one turn, so uh, Brain Freeze looks better. Um, But that also makes uh, a one of Arcane Lab look a lot better. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. Arcane Lab has been something that's been talked about. Um, I know Fran was high on it and Tom was high on it. It's, it's a card that makes a lot of problems for people. I, I have not pulled the bully yet, but I want to try it. What were your experiences with Arcane Lab? Because you had had it at an, an initial list. Yeah, so initially my thought was that I was going to play it for combo. Um, off the top of my head, I believe that uh when i played that stasis list back in 2019 that i had it uh bargain was still legal i think i might be wrong on my on my timing but uh my thought process was that i wanted arcane lab to play against combo um but we've kind of the the metagame is so circuitous that it's kind of come back around that arcane lab is good because of combo, the combos are just different. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's it's just got a ton of value, and it can be just so problematic for certain decks that it, it can almost be game over. 
if it lands. And mm-hmm. as we've said many times in a in an impulse gush deck playing those high impact one ofs, they just gain that much more value. Yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely on board. So one thing to talk about brain freeze. So I recently played against uh, Tom Matalski in the PSS uh, in the blue white dreadnought versus stasis matchup. Number one, very interesting matchup, right? One probably one of the more play draw dependent matchups that there is. I don't know if you would agree with that, but play draw on that matchup specifically really matters. Oh, big time. It's in, I can't explain to you how to people listening, how much it matters, but we got whoever has two mana first, is (laughs) the favored player. That's, that's all there is to it. Two mana is the magic number in that matchup. Exactly. Um, so when I was playing it, I was definitely high on uh, brain freeze. It was something uh, other people had tried. Some me and um, Rich had talked about when we played. I had played it in my dreadnought list when I had won uh, the first uh, Misty Midwest Champs. Um, I think it's an amazing card. In stasis, I thought it was an amazing piece against mono blue dreadnought. But what I found uh, was the addition to the the white mana for both disenchants and meddling mages for the stasis matchup. It cannot be denied how impactful those cards are uh, and how much more, in my opinion, it makes the matchup more difficult. It means a lot of the times if they get an early meddling mage, sometimes you don't have time for the brain freeze anymore. So I think... I would still play it as a one of, but its usefulness in that specific matchup has gone down quite a bit. Um, have you messed much with Brain Freeze at all yet? Uh, I haven't tried Brain Freeze. I, I really haven't played a lot of Stasis lately. Um, mm-hmm. I've been playing stupid decks like uh, Balancing Tings and, and Suicide Black. I mean, those um, aren't stupid decks. I love those decks. <laughs> <laughs> They're a lot of fun to play, and I, I've they are. done pretty well with them. But uh, um I, I really haven't tried out Brain Freeze lately. Uh, I just kind of, you know, theory craft and, and put it on paper as to how I think it would play out. Um, like the, the, since Blue White Dreadnought kind of Fran's uh, iteration of it is by and large the most popular version of Dreadnought right now, mm-hmm. um, like Meddling Mage is just such a problem. It, it's, it's just so easy against Stasis to put down a meddling mage on chain of vapor and just attack for two attack for two yep. attack for yep. two unless you do something about it which you don't have a whole lot of answers mm-hmm. uh meddling mage by itself can win a game and then right. meddling mage number two is even worse yes it is um so yeah though it's not to say that like, that matchup is unwinnable by any means i think it is i think it is very skill dependent it can be draw dependent um, but if you're going to play this deck, if you're going to play, if you're going to play three matches with this deck to really, really, really learn, play an iteration of Dreadnought because it's probably the most aggressive deck you're going to f- find that kills you quick. And I say that knowing that Sly is a deck. Your, your board plan against Sly is actually much easier to figure out than it is against Dreadnought, in my opinion. Um, but the second matchup is Burn. And then I think the third matchup is probably Goblins, if I'm honest. Um, I know that's two red decks, but Goblins play so differently than a burn deck because they can play a controlling role 
that it makes you think a different thing. What do you think are like those your top three decks you, you need to kind of like play against to get a good sense of what you're doing and uh, get a good sense of what you're doing with this deck and how to play it and become more proficient? Uh, I think that you need to throw in a deck that's uh, that plays discard spells, uh, okay. dure- duresses and cabal therapies, um, because like a just a, a couple of discard spells can be so difficult to beat. Uh, I remember watching um, a, a player on Stasis play on stream. Um, it was on the 90s MTG channel a long time ago, and they're playing Stasis, and then they're, they were playing against the Pit Rack deck, which is a pretty bad matchup. But the opponent cast a Funeral Charm, so you get to choose and discard, and the player discarded a Gush. But Gush is, it's the only card that wins that matchup. Yes. So again, thinking, being, getting the experience to know what are the important cards in each matchup individually is how you be successful with Stasis. It, it's, I look at Stasis like Legacy, uh, you, where Legacy is not so important about the decks themselves, but it's knowing how to play each individual matchup. And mm-hmm. that, that is by far the most important thing with Stasis is, is learning each individual matchup. So yeah, you have to get a lot of reps against those decks that you're expecting to face and figure mm-hmm. out what is my strategy? How am I going to attack this, this matchup? Uh, and how am I going to play this matchup in particular? Gotcha. I think that is absolutely correct. So the last card I'm going to mention before we kind of go into various different versions of Stasis is, uh, what do you think of the card Peak? I'm currently playing it as a one-of, and it is insane when it happens. Stasis, above all, is an information deck. We've alluded to it, we've talked about it, knowing what you're playing. I feel a lot of times when I've peaked somebody, in most cases, I'm not ever losing. I, what, do you, what are your thoughts on a card like that? So I haven't really considered peak, but it's really interesting now that you mention it. Um, that reminds me of, uh, on an episode, I think of the Resleevables. Um, mm. Patrick Sullivan was talking about how John Finkel was playing a limited format, and he just drafted a bunch of the card Wandering Eye. And yep. it's just like a three-mana, one-three flyer, I think. And each player plays with their hand revealed. Mm-hmm. And since he was so much better than everybody else, having all of having perfect information, he just couldn't lose. So uh, that's it's really interesting. Peak is really interesting. Some of the cards that I've considered is uh, like sleight of hand. Um, but one of the one of the main ways that you lose with stasis is not finding stasis early enough. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of have valued one and two mana cantrips. Impulse being by far the best in this deck, I think. But uh, peak is really interesting. And now that you mention it, I think that I would like it over um, something like sleight of hand mm-hmm. because of what we've already talked about, the the role that Urza's Bobble plays in giving you the information so that you know what you need to save your counters for. Mm-hmm. So um, being instant speed is another pretty big benefit uh, where if you don't have an opening to cast it this turn, no big deal. You just wait till next turn. Mm-hmm. So that's a really interesting card, and I kind of like it. All right. You know, I, I do what I can around here to spread the love. So 
Let's talk different versions of stasis. Now, what we've mainly been focusing in is on your mono blue, just stasis, and here we are. But there are different versions. Let us start with root maze. Now, hate it. Root maze. I, sure. Yep. <laughs> no. Okay. Moving on. Um, Root Maze, however, uh, did top four um, the South American Championships. Mm-hmm. Root Maze Stasis. Um, it ran into elves, so happy days in the top four. Um, but so, Root, what Root Maze is is a one man green enchantment comes into play and then it's all lands come into play tapped or is it all permanence i can't remember i think it's all permanence because i saw the player putting his black vices into play tapped gotcha so in theory it locks down your opponent from ever really doing anything but it also like locks you down from playing untapped things ron can you tell me why you think you hate it or why you do hate it artifacts and lands come into play tapped I just looked it up. Okay. Um, So it kills your ability to bounce your islands with things like Gush, Thwart, and Daze, and then replay them. The entire uh, benefit of being able to Thwart and Gush to bounce those islands back is to replay them untapped so you can keep your stasis going. And I think it was the... the, it was either Misty Mountain or it was the South American Championships. I can't remember. I was watching a Root Maze Stasis player, and they lost because they played Root Maze, and they couldn't replay their islands to pay for Stasis because they didn't have a, a Forsaken City. Another mm. shout-out to playing for Forsaken Cities. <laughs> um, but it's, it's an extra... It's a card slot, first of all. That's very important in this, in this list because... The, uh, stasis is already a very tight deck. It doesn't have very many flex slots. So when you're adding things like Root Maze, that also forces you to add things like um, Elvish Spirit Guide. And mm-hmm. uh, Because unless you're going to start playing some um, Yavamaya Coasts or some basic forests, which are just awful uh, in Stasis, you got to play things like um, Elvish Spirit Guide to be even, even be able to cast your Root Maze. Mm-hmm. Because as that player found out, you don't always have Forsaken City. So yeah. it's number one, tying up uh, card deck slots that could mm-hmm. be used on something that's actually going to do something. And number two, it's more cards that you have to protect, whereas just to have a stasis lock, all you need is a stasis and eventually a black vice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's too much of a cost to do something that uh, you don't really need it to do anyway. Mm-hmm. What root maze? The one thing that root maze will help with is something like playing against elves that has an anchor in the graveyard. If well, no, it doesn't even do that because it's artifacts and lands, so it doesn't make the creatures come into play. Yeah, it does not. So I, I mean, just, I think overall it's just the wrong choice. I just don't understand what you're accomplishing, what problem you're solving with Root Maze. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement. I don't know what you were solving. I, I can't think of it. I'd rather all. let them play their lands untapped, let them build up to a couple mana, tap them to cast that spell, and I'll just thwart it. I, that, that is the play pattern that I would prefer over ever casting a Root Maze. I think that's 
makes complete sense. So sticking with the green, Mr. Michael J. Flores, he said it was my fault for some reason on our podcast together that he played a interesting stasis list in the last PSS uh, in which there were Gaia's blessings, et cetera, et cetera. W- what are your thoughts? I don't understand how he ever plans to have two mana to cast it after a stasis is in play. Uh, it and it doesn't actually do anything to advance your game plan. Sure, it keeps your deck full so that you can cut down on the number of uh, black vices that you have to play as a win condition. Uh, they can themselves be a win condition, but you have to invest a whole lot of cards. Excuse me to be able to actually cast the Gaia's blessing because you're going to have to exile a card to untap your forsaken city and play a land to ever uh, add to your mana, uh, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to have to exile multiple cards to multiple Forsaken Cities in a single turn to even be able to cast the Gaia's Blessing. So unless Mm -hmm. you're having them as a hedge against like a Phyrexian Devourer sacrifice to to mill you out, uh, I just don't understand what you're accomplishing with them because it's going to be very difficult to ever even cast them. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So full disclosure, um, I actually in my sideboard right now do have two guys blessings here. And there's a reason why it's not necessarily the cast them though. There are situations where in theory, could it be a win condition? Yes. I think so Rich in the PSS is playing Brain Freezes in his blue-white knot deck. I think in his sideboard. I think that is 100% correct and what should be happening. I think Brain Freeze, now that Parfait is somewhat gone or lessened, is going to be used more. Uh, you're going to see a lot more Devours. I think that strategy is going to pick up and especially in that blue white not if it goes that way playing that matchup you can't pre- brain freeze game 2 and 3 you can't not not very well in that matchup if that's the plan they're going with and i don't mind it is there as a hedge against that so full disclosure i do have two blessings in my sideboard for those reasons cuz that's the way i think things are going to shift going forward but having them there to just cast them, I don't think is the reason why you should have them. So that's all I'll say on that. Yeah, and I don't hate that idea. Um, I, I have played one of Felden's Kane um, for a long time, and uh, that was mostly for the stasis mirrors because typically that comes down to decking out. Mm-hmm. Um, so having it to prevent yourself from decking out is fine, but casting them is just not what you want to be doing. Yeah, that's worst case, like, we're coming down to the wire scenario. So that's where I'm at. So let us turn our minds to um, blue-white stasis, which I think has a lot more viability than any sort of blue-green nonsense. Um, So old stasis decks were Kismet decks, Um, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware. I played it in uh, spring or fall brawl last year to a top eight. Also, it lets you have things like Enlightened Tutor or Swords or, you know, things like that. What do you think of a, a white splash within Stasis? So I've actually toyed with the idea of uh, splashing white, um, and it's 
it's pretty doable. Your Forsaken Cities tap for white. You can play four uh, Flooded Strands and a single Plains to get your white mana. The other thing, the other card that you can play that's pretty darn good here is Mox Diamond. With how many islands you're planning to bounce back to your hand, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be able to cast your Mox Diamond. Um, so I like uh, the possibility of Splashing White. I think it brings a lot of things to the table. Um, like I've said before, the most games that I lose with stasis are because I don't find an early enough stasis. So giving access to Enlightened Tutor is really good. I don't think that Enlightened Tutor is needed to go find a Black Vice because you can just wait on a Black Vice once you have a stasis down. But being able to go mm -hmm. find your stasis can be very important. Uh, mm -hmm. It also opens a lot of flexibility for sideboard options. Um, we've mentioned before the card Warmth. Uh, you, there are just a whole lot of um, very impactful white cardboard or uh, sideboard options to go find mm -hmm. with your Enlightened Tutors. Gotcha. So, I mean, and I played this test. It's something that's been successful before. So, I, I like the idea of toying with it. Um, so, I don't think there's any other color combination you could put together. I don't see what red would ever bring to the table. I don't see what black would bring to the table. Um, can you think of any other color combination that would be worth it? No, I, um, I don't see any other color solving any of the problems that Stasis has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a card you mentioned for the white splash that is interesting to me is a Dromir, Dromaris Cavern. The the I think the layer lands are going to start seeing a lot of pickup. Those cards have been underplayed for so long. Totally agree. Um, and in a deck like Stasis, like it, it's amazing to play with it. Now, do the original Karoo lands. Uh, the ones before Ravnica were those multicolored or were those? No, it added like a uh, Karoo itself uh, was tapped for a colorless and a white, so it added mm -hmm. two mana. But it was the the second mana was colorless. Yeah, was there a full cycle? Was there one that added blue and colorless? I cannot remember. Yes, there it was a full cycle. I don't remember their names, but yeah, it was a full cycle. Would that be something to think about? I think it comes in tap, doesn't it? Uh, I'd have to double. Check. And it's not the one that sacrifices a land. They do return a land, right? Yeah, it, it bounces. Okay, let me see if I can oh, find yes. Karoo. Sorry, we're, we're brainstorming here. Yeah, they come uh, into play come tapped. Into play tapped. Okay, yeah, so never, never mind then. I tried. And you have to return an untapped land to your hand as well. Yeah, that doesn't okay, do so. any of the things that you want it to do. Uh, Okay, well, you know, I was hopeful there for a second. But layer lands, I could see a couple of blue layer lands, even, I don't know, even without a splash, because we play so many islands. I don't even know if I would, I could play one or two, right? Just as another way to recycle lands into the hand. Yeah, the, the cost that, uh, that you're going to see is reducing the island count for things like mm -hmm. uh, Thwart and Gush. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think that one or two would do too much damage to, to your island count. Right. Cause I'm on, I'm currently on 23 land. I'm at 19 Island four forsaken. And 
I've run 18 just fine with no problems. And we got crazy people out here gushing and foiling with like eight islands yeah. in their deck. <laughs> just They're, just insane people. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I can never condone that. <laughs> so we've, we've been at this a while. Um, where, as kind of some final thoughts, do you find Stasis to be sitting right now? I personally think it's well positioned especially because people, as we talked about, just don't want to play against it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think that it's a deck that you can completely catch people off guard and unprepared for, because if you don't know specifically how to play that matchup, you are at a disadvantage. Period. Mm-hmm. End of story. So unless people really start thinking about stasis, then it's poised to, to really be in a good spot. Absolutely. All right, so... I hope everyone has, before we go on to our most important part of this, is there anything, Ron, you think we have missed in this discussion that you feel like we need to touch on? Uh, I don't think so. I think we, uh, we did a pretty good job, pretty comprehensive. I love it. So now for the most important part, I ask three questions mm-hmm. in my uh, podcast here. They are as follows. What is the most overrated card in pre-modern, the most underrated card in pre-modern, and a card that needs to be or should be broken. Let us start with the first. What is the most overrated card in pre-modern, in your opinion? Mountain. Hate it. Get it out of here. <laughs> okay. Mountain's done. Canceled. Let's go. <laughs> I, I oh. actually uh, planned my balancing things list last month. Um, I played uh, just some pickup games with uh, Rich Shea and noted that uh, I only had four pyroblasts in the sideboard instead of the 2-2 split with red elemental blasts and Mm -hmm. that is a direct testament to the fact that i don't play red cards so i don't own red elemental blasts and that's just what i had laying around when i made the deck (laughs) that's awesome all right so mountain overrated i love it uh most underrated card in pre-modern oh man do i love countering spells so i'm gonna say counter spell Counterspell. Okay, I can see it. Not enough people tapping the double blue to make sure that card works, huh? You, you, no you. You, you, no you. I love it. T-shirt time. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and then, what is a card that needs to be or should be broken in pre-modern? Hmm, I don't think that Dark Ritual gets enough love for for how powerful Dark Ritual is. It needs to have something better to do than just play, you know, like a turn one hippie. Um, okay. I think that, uh, I mean, I, I did some good good work with it this month in Suicide Black, but uh, Dark Ritual is an extremely powerful card that doesn't see enough play. Like, when you have people talking about cutting it completely from uh, Dead Guy L, you know that it's not being used f- to its potential. Gotcha. There is something to say with that card, um... They've taken a lot of the fun toys away from the color black. Absolutely. Within pre-modern. There are uh, all my fun. And believe, I'd, if they allow, just, just give me bargain. Give me 10. Give me something. Just one of them. I don't need all of them. Just give me one. And I will be the most happy degenerate combo player you have seen in your entire life. Um, well, if you, have, so- <laughs> haven't, if you haven't seen my uh, ep- episode of the... Uh- uh, the band series that I played with uh, my tendrils deck. You should totally check it out if you want to see some degenerate things done with Dark Ritual. Uh, uh, I love me some tendrils. Fun. Yes. Speaking of channels, um, 
do you have any channels, Facebooks, anything you would like to let people know about to find some content? Uh, I don't really do social media. Uh, I pretty much just do Discord. Uh, okay. So I'm always chatting in the Discord. Um, I have a few, a handful of uh, my monthly matches and such recorded uh, on a YouTube channel. I don't even know how to link to it, though. But uh, yeah, I, I post the videos in Discord every now and then. But uh, yeah, just hit me up in Discord and we'll chat. And always down to talk magic stuff. Awesome. Well, Ron, thank you so much for your time on this Saturday. Everybody, as I always say, make sure you check out this content, all the other content, all the other podcasts, all the other series. There's no excuse for not being able to find resources for pre-modern at this point. There's just so many of them and it keeps growing. So Ron, thank you again so much. I've been Will. We will talk to everyone later. Take care. Thanks for having me, Will.